You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Evan Roberts Podcast, the Mets offseason recap edition I've brought back. The Mets text chat that I've referred to sometimes on the air. We did a offseason preview podcast first. The Caldwell College Hall of Famer. He's known affectionately as Adam Eaton, Ryan McGee. Ryan, this is what, your fourth podcast appearance? I believe so. Fourth. Wow. Uh, glad to be back. Yeah. Thanks for having us back. I'm very impressed. And of course, you may know him as the guy that said the Mets should trade Jonathan Neese for Neil Walker. John Heyman said that's a crazy idea, and a few months later, the deal happened. So that's pretty much your claim to fame at this point. It is. I'm still waiting for uh, Heyman to follow me back on Twitter. I don't know what he's waiting for. Uh, I think he was afraid to follow back when I mentioned this guy, Fantasy Phil, who's making his second podcast appearance. Third, actually, third. Is it really a third? It's my third. Wow. I'm surprised. Yeah, I think I mentioned the Mets text chat to John and mentioned that you would talk about your uh, escapades with older women. (laughs) And for whatever reason, that just turned him off. He's like, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to mess today. Okay, very good. I think we all need that. Now, this has been, in my fandom, one of the weirdest off-seasons I've ever seen. Because it basically starts with the Wilpons are selling, which is stunning. As we record this right now, that deal is completely off. Who knows what's going to happen with the future of the Met ownership situation? But I did feel... That the uncertainty of the Mets ownership, or at least the certainty we had that Steve Cohen, this billionaire, was going to buy the team, affected how a lot of us viewed the offseason. So I do want to touch on that a little bit. And then the other part was the manager situation, where they hire Carlos Beltran, the Astros scandal happens, it breaks, and then that inevitable, they've got to fire Carlos Beltran, to then replacing him with Luis Rojas. Let me start with the managers. I think all of us were okay with Carlos Beltran? I think all three of us prefer Joe Girardi. Is that fair to say? That's fair. Okay. Uh, Should the Mets have fired Beltran, and did it kind of put a a cloud over this offseason? I mean, we talked about it in the chat. Uh, I I wouldn't have. Um, I think if they got out in front of the story, they could have weathered the storm a little bit. And I think once you got the spring training, games started happening, the regular season started happening, nobody's going to care what he did in Houston two years ago, three years ago. So I think just the fact that they waited to issue any kind of statement made it worse because the media ran with it. It built, it built, and then they ultimately got their hand pressed. You you know something, though? I'm with you. And I said on the air I wouldn't have fired Carlos. Here's the one thing that would have concerned me. Stroman's tweets, where Marcus Stroman went back to a game he pitched against the Astros. Beltron happened to have three hits in that game. And, and look, maybe it's just one conversation where Carlos says, yeah, we did it, Marcus. I still love you. Puts his arm around him. But I do wonder, especially the pitchers, if it would have been like a strained relationship between the manager and maybe some of the pitchers. Now, if, if you want to tell me that's the reason why they fired him, I, I can understand that a little bit more. The thing that rubs me the wrong way the most is essentially Rob Manfred forced them to fire. Yes. And 
between that and what's going on with this sale, Rob Manford is a fraud. <laughs> I've officially rebuked him from this podcast. Wow. You know what's funny? I feel the exact same way. And I was, when Rob Manfred first became the commissioner, I liked him. I gave him a grace period. And over the last couple of years, between some of the rule changes, between the handling of the ownership situation, between some parts of the Astros scandal, because I do like that he banned A.J. Hinch for the year. I think that was the right thing to do. I understand he couldn't suspend the players, but I do agree with you that Rob Manfred is starting to become public enemy number one. Rojas, I got to tell you, once they made the decision to fire Beltran, because they got to move on. They fired him. There's going to be a new manager. I was up on Hensley Mullins, but kind of similar to Luis Rojas, a guy with experience, Hensley more coaching experience. Rojas has the managing experience. And a guy that had been around. I wasn't enthralled by the idea of Buck Showalter or Dusty Baker. You good with Luis Rojas replacing Beltran? Yeah, pretty much for the same reasons you mentioned. He would he spent all offseason planning with Beltran and the rest of the staff for the season. So I think it's an easier transition at being so close to spring training as it was. Um, with a name would have been nice, but I don't think you know, those guys wouldn't want to come into a already pre-existing staff not knowing the offseason. I think it's easier with Rojas or Mullins or whoever else. Like Dean Francesco, I think, was the yes. other one. Yeah. Um, definitely an easier transition with one of those three. What would you think? Um, this could be the stupid Met fan of me, but after listening to him speak and I, not knowing pretty much anything about him, hearing him speak and hearing the tone that he had, and, and you can just kind of feel he can command a room of, of players. And like I said, it could be the stupid Met fan of me, but I almost feel like this may work out for the better with Rojas instead of uh, well, instead of Beltran. Here's the thing about Carlos, and I know you guys were probably more pro-Carlos than I was. I wasn't anti-Carlos. I was more him being a former Met doesn't do anything for me. You know, him being a great former Met, a former Met I loved, I defended a lot on the air, didn't do it for me. It was overrating it. And I think we tend to do that when we talk about managers. We love the idea of a guy that has a history with our franchise when the truth is Davey Johnson was a minor league manager. He was a former Oriole. He made the last out of the 1969 World Series. Sometimes it's the non-sexy hire that works the best. And that's why it's not anti-Carlos who was more... I'm not believing that Carlos has to be the guy because he was a former Met player. Yeah, I mean, besides him being a former Met player, Rojas might be more qualified than Beltran was for the job. Yeah. So There's no question that he is. Like Phil, like Phil said, this might, as much as maybe I didn't personally or other Met fans didn't want Beltran to be fired, but it might work out, like Phil said, to the benefit. Yeah, I think of uh, the Indianapolis Colts, maybe not this past season, but the year before where Josh McDaniels gets the job, changes his mind, and it feels, at least for now, that it's worked out. So sometimes your second choice, if you will, it tends to work out better. But here's the bottom line. I think we said this when we were previewing what we wanted the Mets to do in the offseason. It comes down to the players. Look, managers matter. I'm not going to tell you they don't matter at all, but they matter a lot less than NFL head coaches, NBA head coaches even. It's it's about the players on the field, and that's where I want to go. Now, here is something I'm going to say a few times, and anytime you feel this way, I want you to mention it, that your view of this move or future moves was based on the idea that a billionaire was going to buy the team. Because if you look at center field, barring something in spring training, the Mets are going to play Brandon Nimmo in center field and Jake Marisnik in center field. They made that move for Jake Marisnik. We all had different ideas about guys to add. They were interested in Starling Marte. You guys sent texts all the time. Oh, the Mets and the Pirates are talking. Blah, blah, blah. Personally, I don't know if you guys felt this way. Not that I, I hated Starling Marte or, or what have you. I was more, hey, they can get Mookie Betts next year because a billionaire is buying the team. And it actually, 
and I'm an idiot for thinking this, it actually changed my view on the pursuit of Starling Marte. Like every time you guys would send a text, I'd say, I don't really want Starling Marte. They're going to get Mookie next year. And that definitely affected my view of well, that. It pursuit. affected my view to why go get Marte because Cespedes is off the books next year. You get Marte, I think he has one more year next year. Yeah. Mookie Betts could play left field or right field and Conforto could have won the left. I mean, the possibilities were endless thinking that a billionaire was coming in. Say, hey, they're going to spend money. They got a lot of money coming off the books. Marte was only $11 million. That's not overly, you know, that's not handcuffing anything. A billionaire for sure. So why not? That wasn't going to prevent them from getting bets. Well, now if they would have got that guy and it's not the billionaire, now all of a sudden, you know. We're thinking differently. Yeah. <laughs> We're looking at center field saying, yeah, Jake Marisnik for the next three years. I, I wouldn't necessarily say, um, I personally was not crazy about Marte. Sure, I would love to have him, but at the prices that they were talking about, I wasn't crazy about making the move. And I kind of, I wasn't really looking at that move. Uh, like, in, I was looking at that move in a vacuum, as yeah, you know, as opposed to uh, seeing like a billionaire's coming in and we right. get Mookie Betts next year. That that was still all pie in the sky for me. Like, I wasn't, I couldn't. You're smarter than us. I couldn't in any way just like put that, set that in stone and <laughs> and, and go in there. But uh, yeah, it, with with the whole Marte thing, it mainly revolved around. I'm a big Brandon Nimmo fan. I think he's a good player. Right. He can still stay healthy. He's just he's a guy that you like he's a guy that winning teams have on their team. That type of player. You know, I'm not a Brandon Nimmo super fan. I like Brandon Nimmo. I mean, what's not to like about the guy? But I was afraid of trading him because I remember a few years ago Andrew McCutcheon was a hot name that was out there. Josh Harrison and Andrew McCutcheon. And I was all in on of course trade Brandon Nimmo. Now McCutcheon hasn't been bad the last couple of years, but Brandon Nimmo was younger. We still don't know what his true upside is. Last year felt like a lost year with all the injuries that he had. We know his ability to draw walks. That matters. That just doesn't matter in 2020. It matters in general. A guy getting on base is a good thing. So I was actually afraid of the idea of Nimmo's younger, Nimmo's cheaper. Have we seen the best of Starling Marte? So it wasn't just Mookie. It was also... I was actually hesitating on trading Nimmo for Marte because even though the back of the baseball card says, well, Starling Marte is better... I don't know moving forward who's going to be better. Marte's, what, 32? Going to be 32? 31, 32. I mean... And I hate to say this, because I know this is just a stupid stat, but it's not really that stupid. Two years ago, Brandon Nimmo's OPS was higher than any season Starling Marte's OPS has been. Now, I get it. Brandon Brandon draws walks. Starling doesn't walk as much. That's that's a big factor. It is a big factor. Nimmo has a good slugging percentage also. It's also it's it's above average Nimmo's slugging percentage. And he also strikes out a lot and he's also not the defensive center fielder Starling is despite the age difference. Every, everybody strikes out now and Yeah, but that doesn't mean you just accept it. It, it. You almost have to to a point because it's not it's not every day you're going to get somebody like a JD Davis who has right. like this elite contact rate and doesn't I think Davis strikes out a decent amount also. Really everybody but, Jeff McNeil's the one guy you look at and say, "Yeah, he doesn't strike out that right. much." And as far as Nimmo's defense, sure, he's not going to make the like overwhelming like highlight reel catch in center field. But I think for the most part, he, he's going to run down so balls. If it was now, the reports ended up being the Pirates were asking for two of the top five prospects, which I think was too much for Starling Marte. Would you agree with that, by I the agree. way? Okay. Would you, Ryan, have traded Nimmo at a meeting? Would you have traded? <laughs> I don't want people confused. Would you have traded Nimmo straight up for Marte if that yes, was out there? I, would have. I don't would have. view Nimmo any more than a fourth outfielder. He's a nice piece, but a replaceable piece. So we're being schmucks for saying they shouldn't have traded schmucks. Nimmo. I mean, <laughs> I I don't. Know. I look at Marte. I just go off going straight off the eye test. I look at Marte. I see an everyday starting center fielder, major league center fielder. Nimmo. I see someone who could play center field. Okay, as a nice piece. The rest of the outfield, and I, I think we viewed center field as they need a real center fielder. They haven't had one in a while. Marisnik's addition. 
Ugh. I, I wow. Okay. Ugh. I mean, the guy uh, hit two thirty six, and everyone's banging on the drums and the garbage can. And the guy can only hit two thirty six. I mean, I'm not going to go nuts about Jake Morris. Well, but if you look at him as a fourth outfielder, which he can become that, if he, Cespedes is healthy. He's a fourth outfielder. Brandon Nimmo is not a fourth okay, outfielder. But Marisnik is a better defensive center fielder. And if Cespedes is actually healthy, and we're even J.D. Davis, both of those guys are liabilities defensively. I at least assume Yoannis will be coming off an injury. So doesn't Marisnik's value as a glove, doesn't he kind of make it as if he's Juan Lagares, except he makes less money? Speaking of Juan Lagares, is he ever going to play baseball again? Who cares? Yeah. Whatever. Why does that matter? I don't know. It just made me think of it. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, Marizic definitely has value as a glove late in the game. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, hold that against him and, you know, knock him down. He does have a good glove. So you but, need that then. Yeah, you but, need, you know, need that. Yes, you need that. But I don't want to see him getting any any kind of regular playing but time. But is he, like, if... I think if Davis is Davis of last year right. and Cespedes is somewhat healthy, they're going to get the at-bats. I think he's... A defensive guy in Nimmo also. Exactly. If Nimmo is healthy, he's going to play a lot. If if there are injuries, and there could be, or J.D. Davis really struggles, or Brandon Nimmo gets hurt again, so injuries, yes, he'll play a lot. No question about it, but that's that's baseball. Guys play a lot if other guys are hurt. But right now, they've got J.D. Davis and Yoenis Espinosa as their left fielders, essentially. They have Michael Conforto in right. They have Nimmo in center. They could move a guy like Conforto to center and Davis or Cespedes to right. So Marisnik... Don't forget Dom Smith's going to have to play somewhere, (laughs) too. You know what? How could we forget him? That's another guy, too, man. Well, we'll get to that because I want to focus on the outfield, but I guess he is a part of the outfield equation. He's he's not getting the bats at first base if Alonzo repeats what he did last year with the games played. Yeah. So he's going to have to find a bat somewhere. That's why Marisnik's a glove. Like, I said this to Boomer off air because Boomer said to me, Jake Marisnik. And I said, look, if you just view him as what he is, it's not the worst trade in the world. You can't look at every trade as if, hey, he's not a star. That's not how you build a baseball team. He's a good defensive center fielder, and God knows they need that because look at this roster. Who else is a true center fielder on the New York Mets roster? No Brandon one. Nimmo? He's not even one. No one. No. There you go. Did I convince you? Um, you convinced me that he's a good glove to have come in in late innings. That's yeah. about forget, it. That's about this it. is the year you get the extra position players. That's a big factor. So, I'd, yeah. I'm... I'm, I'm uh, what? Spit it I'm, out. I'm, I'm biased to, to carrying a, uh, a third catcher. As well, we'll, but, we'll get but to that. that's neither here nor there. So you guys are okay with the outfield then? I mean, I know you brought up Kevin yeah. Kiermaier as a guy you wanted to oh, target. Yeah. I love that. But, but looking at who was moved, looking at what happened. I know Mookie Betts got traded, but are you content with this outfield going into the I mean, start I, of the it, year? It's pretty much exactly what I expected it to be. I think I said Pilar in the, the preseason one. So Marisnik, Pilar, they're probably... He didn't sign anywhere yet. No, right? he's still out there. Okay. But they're, they're pretty much the same player. Marisnik might be a little bit younger at this, at this point, or I don't even know if he is. Um, so pretty much what I expected. I think the wild card is Cespedes. If, if, they don't, if this is what it is and Cespedes is healthy... That's, I guess it's not a good way to look at it, but it's looked at as like almost a, a big acquisition, a big I'm, bat. I'm also having a hard time still believing that all these guys are going to be on the team opening day. You think there's another trade in spring training coming? I, cool. I, I, I want to say yes, but I mean, God only knows what's going on now with the sale of the team and how what's going on in the front office. I don't think that what, really affects, though, the front office. Like One thing about this season, and I've said this to callers when talking about the sale, which we're not going to spend that much time talking about here because it's so fluid, and I honestly didn't think it was going to impact this season. The only thing it impacted is your view, or at least my view of, well, they could trade for, uh, they could sign Mookie next year, or they can sign Lindor in two years, but from a expectation standpoint i'll give you this trade at the deadline sure like maybe they can't bring in a big contract i'll give you that but the team is the team now i don't think it really it changes that much and i don't think at least from an outfield perspective other than dom smith 
I don't think any of these guys would be traded. Cespedes, obviously, Conforto, Nimmo, Marisnik, J.D. Davis. I, mean, I could see Dom Smith. The only thing, if you think if Cespedes comes back in spring training and he's hidden, but maybe he's not really playing the field, you don't think they potentially an AL team would take a flyer on him? I mean, what's, what's he down to, $7 million? The ghost Whatever, of Jed before? Lowry. <laughs> oh, we're talking about the outfield here. I mean, um, that's a good question. I don't know if a team would be the, convinced I, the by The Mets are throwing training. a lot of information out there. I mean, I know he put his personal video out there today, right. but they're, Brody's on record saying he's going to be ready offensively for the beginning of spring training. Do you want to trade him? Like, let's say you had a big spring training. Wouldn't you be afraid that in a contract I mean, year if he's going to? I mean, if he, if he can't play the field, we all have that affection for him. So I mean, I'm sure all of us want to deep down <laughs> yeah, hold on to him and have a monster year. You're but. enticed I, to let him run it out. A contract year. What's better than a guy with a chip on his shoulder and a contract? I year? I tell you this, and I don't. I think you were being truthful about this. I love Yoannis. Like when I yeah, think about what absolutely. he's been as a Met, even if he did nothing this year. His trade was the reason the Mets won the division and won the pennant. That's not often in our yeah. lives. Yeah. I've never seen anybody come in with such star power like that and just literally take an entire team on his yeah. back for three months. It sucks that it didn't, you know, the, the two contracts they gave him, really the third contract, or the second contract didn't work. But I, I'm affectionate for Yoenna. So even if he had to bring spring training, unless someone was offering me something stupid, which is not realistic, I'd ride with him. Yeah. And I think he will be. Look, you're talking about playing left field for six or seven innings because, again, you're going to use Marisnik and Nimmo as caddies to, deck, to get him out of the game. He's not going to play. Obviously, tie game, you want to keep him in just for his bat. I get it. but So now the question would be, where does J.D. Davis? If that's the case, J.D. Davis is the one that's going to be losing the at-bats. So I want to get J.D. Davis at-bats. Is he, is he someone that could be dealt during spring training? Oh, so I, I'm not crazy about that. I wouldn't do it either. Here's the way I would view Unless it. Unless I'm getting Nolan Arenado back, I <laughs> do not want to trade wow. J.D. Davis. Listen. That's not happening anymore. Yeah. You can throw that yeah. out the window. Here's why I wouldn't trade J.D. Davis, for two reasons. I, I don't love him at third base. I think it's still an option. That's number one. Number two, in spring training, I'd have either him or Yoannis play some right field because I think there's a possibility, while it's horrible defensively, that you could be looking at an outfield on some nights of J.D., Yoannis, and Conforto with Nimmo and Marisnik coming off the bench. So spring training is the time to experiment. We've all thought Yoannis should be able to play right field with the Army has. If he's still being a diva about it, fine. Let J.D. Davis play right field. It's not ideal defensively, but if all these guys are hitting in this perfect world, there are going to be games in which you want to maximize the offense. We, we got to see him like actually move, though. Like These, these videos that he's putting out are great, but uh, my guy's looking a little thick. And I, I need to see him run. Well, like, I, truthfully, I'm skeptical he's going to produce. I mean, Beningo has been saying on our show he's going to hit 40 home runs and drive in 120 runs. I don't necessarily believe that. I don't know what to expect from Yoannis. My assumption is... He's not going to be able to stay healthy. Uh, if, I was going to say, if he's on the field, he's going to produce. That's what the, you look the at. The question is, he's got to be on the field. But he's too talented with the way the ball's flying out. He could hit. He's like one of those guys you can wake up on December 15th at 6 in the morning. He's going to wake up out of bed right. and, and, and rake. Well, yeah. So what do you do? He came off the DL, hit two home runs at Yankee Stadium, and then uh, was out for the yes. year the next day. I said that line about Edwin Encarnacion after like game three of the division series. I don't think he had another hit after I tweeted that. You know, you yeah. can wake Edwin up in the middle of Christmas and he'll get a few hits. No, he didn't get another hit. You know who's the king of that? Moises Alou. Oh, like, he used you, to say he, that. You could do. That's one guy you could absolutely do. Hey, Fitz now, he's Luis Rojas' brother. Oh, man. All right, so the infield. We knew Pete Alonso was playing first base and then we floated the idea of moving to third, all that crap. That's not happening. Robbie Cano's back. Um, Yay. <laughs> that's, that's my happy voice. Do you? I, I'm not a, an overall positive guy. I'm not positive about Yoannis. 
I think Cano is going to have a decent no, I, year. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. I mean, he can't do much worse than he did last year. That, that's that's basically my philosophy as a Met fan forever. He can't do much worse than we <laughs> when we've done last year. But I, I do think you know he got hit in hand a lot last year. He, he had a couple weird injuries. If he stays relatively healthy, can he hit 270, 275, hit 20, 25 home runs? I, I mean, can he, and and move around decently at second base. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. So he's mostly going to play second base. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to maintenance day him a little bit and give him a day off or two a week. If he goes on the injured list, that changes things. That's where McNeil, Davis, and Lowry can kind of be moved around. Rosario's obviously the shortstop with McNeil. He's the third baseman now. You Remember, Todd Frazier was a free agent. He ended up in Texas. I think we all kind of assumed he was going to be gone. They were not going to be able to bring him back. How do you play McNeil? Is he just strictly the third baseman, or would you? Because I like when they move him around a little bit, depending on the situation. Yeah, I think a lot of that's going to depend on Davis if he shows any improvements in spring training at third base. I'm assuming he's going to get reps there. How Lowry's knee or knees are? Well, well do we even know it's the knee? Uh, well, God, who, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> depends on if he's on the field during spring training. Um, I think what maybe the 26 guy plays in with uh, any other infielders they might bring up or they have that potentially could be on the roster which then would free mcneil up to move around during a game like i wouldn't be surprised if we see him two three positions in a single game just keep bouncing around i, um, I actually think he plays a really good right field and corner outfields in general well, i think he plays a good right field here's the question you gotta ask yourself because we just went through the outfield the way he gets playing time in the outfield is, that- is if jed lowry and robbie cano hit like, imagine a scenario, and it's not crazy. Lowry's in a contract year, too. We always talk about it with Yoannis. Jed Lowry got zero hits last year. Wasn't he 0 for That's 6? That's true. All of us at this table, we all shared the same amount yeah. of hits as Jed Lowry. <laughs> it's true. I mean, shouldn't he bounce back? The guy drove in 99 runs a year before in Oakland. This is a guy who's capable of being an everyday player. If somehow he is that guy and Cano's producing... The answer is Jed Lowry's playing third base and Jeff McNeil ends up back in the outfield. So that's another scenario where if they're short an outfielder, McNeil can be a weapon out there. I mean, it's it's always great. To, it's great talking about this depth, and, and depth pretty much always comes into play during a regular season. That's the Yankees. It, it's it's just the fact of these guys I, These guys need at-bats. Like, is J.D. Davis going to be as good as he was last year if he's playing once a week maybe? Well, he's getting, not, getting, but like, if he hits, he's not playing once a week. If you hit... Then what are you doing with Cespedes then? What are you doing with anybody else? You're assuming all of these things are going to work. That's the thing. There could be... First of all, nothing could work. Or... That's Every, likely. That's probably Yeah, but that's likely. more likely than everybody hitting. I mean, you're painting a scenario where, what if Yoannis is hitting? What if JD's hitting? What if McNeil's hitting? What if Lowry's hitting? That's a great freaking problem. Yeah, that, I mean, I, that's, that's true. Are, that. Aren't we glad that Brody in his uh, press conference when he was hired said he's going to eliminate the ifs? Oh. <laughs> it's like we have a lot more ifs than Everything than is an if now. Yeah, I mean. He's another guy rebuked from this podcast because he's on his last leg with me. He, talking about Brody? Yeah, because he's done, he's done way too many things that have put the team in a bad spot. To me, there's one thing he did that put them in a bad spot, and that was the Cano-Diaz trade. I mean, what other thing do you point towards and say, boy, I really – you want to say the Familia contract? What, signing Jed Lowry? Yeah, I mean, what is you it? You can't say familiar, in my opinion, because every reliever that was along the same lines were familiar pretty much had a terrible Except year for last one. year. Adam Adovino. Oh, okay, he had a bad postseason. <laughs> but, well, come on. That doesn't But matter. you look at Miller, Robertson, I mean – I not mean, much better he, than He familiar. just made a lot more bad deals than he has good ones. Yeah, but there's one bad deal. It's, I mean, it's the Cano and, and Diaz. And there's rather, one really it, good one it was, with, with it, Davis. Yeah. It, it was rather small, but I mean, rebrought in Keon Broxton. That was horrendous. 
Yeah, but you're, Bobby Wall, you're upset about losing. Yeah, that, that's not fair. I mean, those are those are misses, no doubt about it. But those are misses that don't set your organization back. The Robbie Cano trade sets them back. I mean, they've got to pay him twenty million dollars, even with the Mariners kicking in money for years. The the Diaz part, I have more confidence in. We'll get to him, but really, that's the trade. And they gave up Kelnick, which is the biggest problem. You give up a big prospect. And you take back the money. I don't have an issue with the Stroman deal. I mean, do you look back at that and say, what a schmuck you traded for Stroman? He knew Wheeler was gone. Simeon Woods Richardson is a a top 100 prospect, and he's 19 years old. I mean, that'd be a nice piece to have. Kalanick would be be a nice piece to have. Yeah, but if they didn't make that trade, look, we knew they were losing Wheeler. Wheeler walks. Who's who's their third starter right now? Yeah. And you'd be looking for a guy like Marcus Stroman. Okay. So that's the aspect where I'm not sitting here trying to defend Brody Van Wagenen. I'm merely saying he's made one horrendous trade that could be what defines them. I mean, look what, what defy, I hate to bring this up, but what defined Billy King was one trade. It set them back a lot. And when I look at Brody's tenure and I'm being fair about it, there, look, there are misses, but there's one specific trade that is a freaking train wreck. And even if Cano has a bounce back year, and even if Diaz has a good year, it's still a long-term colossal mistake because of Kelnick and because of the money that you're going to have to pay Robbie. And since they're probably going to have a cheap owner for the next five years, paying Robbie sucks. So, so here's just my question. If Cano and Diaz both have bounce back years, w- at what point does, say Kelnick turned out to be an average major league You player, know the answer to that. At what point does it turn out to be championship. An okay, a championship? Okay, yeah. so that's, that's, that's the bar. That's, that's the, it. That's literally the only thing that can... So even if Kelnick doesn't turn out to be a superstar game. or an, a perennial all-star, he's just an everyday average major league outfielder. No, no I'll, give yeah. you, I'll give you scenarios where it could work. Okay. If Edwin Diaz is the closer for this team and is very good to... Not, I'm not even saying Hall of Famer. A very good closer for the next seven years. They end up re-signing him... I think you could say, wow, you know, finding closers are tough. Rarely can they stick around for that long. Okay, the deal worked out in a reasonable way. There's a lot of ways this trade could go where it's bad. There are fewer ways in which it could work. But number one, win a championship, everything works. Look at David Price's contract in Boston. I mean, it works because they won a World Series. You know what I mean? And I think it's kind of the same thing. Because I'm just so, saying with Kelnick, you see a lot. I mean, I don't care. I don't get too into the prospect ratings because you see plenty. Of, I mean, what was Lassen's Millage, the first top prospect in baseball? How'd that work out? But and other guys like so, just because he's a top ranked prospect right now. But I'll give you an example where your point doesn't work. What do Met fans? What do we say about Scott Casimir for Victor Zambrano? Oh, we kill it, right? Yeah. Well, Scott Casimir didn't become a superstar. Hey, he's coming back though. He may, he's coming he's, back. He's making a comeback. Did you see that? <laughs> no, he is. He's no, trying to come back. But think about his career. Like, he never turned out to be as good as we feared he was going to be. So he was good. He was good, yeah. So, But yet we still remember that trade as this punchline to jokes. Why? Because I think wasn't because the move was made to win. And exactly. They, and they didn't win. Okay. Yeah. Does this all come back together? Yeah. <laughs> um, the catcher situation. They they didn't do anything. I mean, no, <laughs> I'm no. fine with that. You're okay with that? You're fine okay with, with Tomas Nito being the backup? I was, I was, I was fine with that before the season. I, yeah, I didn't think that was a position that we needed to upgrade when Ramos is you – know, he needs to improve positionally and defensively and get on the same page with Syndergaard and some of the other starters. It can't be him catching three, Nito two. Like, I think Ramos has got to be the figure out how to be the guy because I think his, his, you need his bat in his lineup. Nito is appealing to me because he's good defensively. And who knows? We've seen so many catchers just become competent enough offensively where they're everyday catchers. You don't think twice about it. Not everybody is JT Realmuto or Gary Sanchez offensively. So 
I'm intrigued by Tomas Nito. I think with more experience, if he can become just a respectable hitter, uh, his defense will be a plus. Yeah, I mean, catch the Grom and that's it. Well, I don't want to do that exclusively. Why not? He gets his reps and his one. The because Ramos is bad. Is, Ramos is bad. Is still pretty good, man. That's what I'm saying. So have that's the Ramos's day off. That's where you spell him. Nito gets the by the way, the Grom. That's where I think the Mets are going to lose a little bit offensively. To me, I'd be very surprised if Wilson Ramos yes. is as productive as he was last year. Yeah, he was very very productive last year, and I I can't see how that continues. Yeah, I agree so, with you. I, I, I don't know. The guy you think gets, he could put up that I production think, again? Like we've been saying, other guys, if he's on the field, I think he's going to produce. Plus, uh, there really wasn't a, a catching move to be made. Like, what were we going to? Yeah, do? I mean, look, well, I, it would have been Grandal. Yeah, we talked about that about the idea of going after Grandal, but you even said it. Look at the money you're going to have to spend yeah. on him, and then what are you doing with Wilson Ramos? What are you getting from him in the trade market? What made me feel better about Ramos is he seemed very open about the fact that pitchers didn't love throwing to him and that he knows he needs to get better and i think that is a part of it i mean if he was defiant saying hey i'm a veteran screw you what's your problem that's that's an issue but i think he seemed more humble about all right i gotta you know i gotta do a better job working with these guys it's funny to think about offensively they really didn't add anything i mean we just went through the infield the outfield the catching situation the addition was Marisnik. Like, am I thinking about who no, am I missing? That's, that's <laughs> literally everything. They did pretty much nothing on offense. Their addition, as you said, is Cespedes. It's Cespedes is their addition, and I don't think they needed to do much on offense. I think there was wishes and dreams that were unrealistic, but they were carried by their offense. I mean, if their pitching was better, specifically the bullpen last year, they're probably a playoff team. Here's the thing. Last year, the New York Mets offensively were an average team. That's what they were, Okay. Is that enough? I mean, you're saying they don't have to do anything. Now, if your answer to me is but Cespedes, Lowry, they're going to be better, that's a yeah. tough one because I don't know if McNeil, Alonzo, and Ramos are going to be as good, but the idea that the Mets offense was good enough last year, I don't necessarily know if it was. They were a slightly below slightly above average offense. And when you look at the Washington Nationals, a team that we look at, a team we're jealous of, but a team we say, hey, we were so similar to them, right? Top of the rotation, crappy bullpen. The Nationals were second in the National League in runs scored. The Mets were not. So I guess it goes back to that. Did they truly score enough runs last year? Uh, you, can, you can always use more offense, no matter what, in my opinion. And and you, you make a good point that it, they Thank have you. to be, but they have to be in the in the top third of the National League to uh, to you know uh, in offense. They to, were seventh in runs scored last year. That's where they were. They were seventh, that's, and that's it's average. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sitting here saying they had a horrible offense, but that's with McNeil having a very good year, with Alonzo having a historic season, with Ramos having a really productive year. Now we JD Davis. Now we can name Cano will be better. Lowry, Rosario, we could argue all day who's going to be better, who's going to be the same, and who's going to be worse. But the result was they actually didn't score enough runs last year. I mean, honestly, if you're, if you're being fair at the numbers, they didn't score enough. But, but they probably did if the, the way the roster was built heavily on pitching performed mm-hmm. the way it did. If pitching performs the way it was supposed to or built to. You're talking about the they, bullpen, though, not the rotation. Yeah, but as a whole. But I say pitching okay. as, as a whole, then they scored enough runs to to get to where they want to go. But here's the other problem. This leads into the starting rotation where they made some very intriguing moves. Jacob DeGrom won another Cy Young and started 32 games. Noah Syndergaard did not have a great year, but he made 32 starts. Zach Wheeler, who's not here anymore, made 31 starts. Steven Matz, in an average year, made 30 starts. They got, and then between Stroman and Vargas, they got 30 starts. 
They were very, very fortunate from a health again. standpoint. So that's probably not happening again. So it goes all the to all the way to the bullpen, which we all know was a dumpster fire. But look at this rotation. They lost Zach Wheeler. Are they good enough from a starting pitching standpoint, despite losing a guy who's been pretty productive the last two years? I said it on the the previous podcast of this is the year you, we, we I was on the assumption they weren't bringing Wheeler back. So we knew that. Yeah, we knew that. So this is where Syndergaard's got to shut his mouth and. Show what you show what he is. Either you're going to be your two or your four. I think we're going to know at the end of this season. He's got to step up. I think if he does, then I think that they're good enough. I said it, I I would have been I was happy with just signing a bunch of four or five guys of the, the inning guys. Porcello fits it perfectly. He's going to get his innings. Walker scares me a little bit with the health and in his history, but I think if Syndergaard Syndergaard's the key to me. I think Stroman. We know what we're going to get with him. 500 record, high threes or whatever. Syndergaard's got to take the step. He's got to be. The, he's got to replace Wheeler. What do you think? He, I, I, he laid it out perfectly. Syndergaard's got to have a big year. Uh, he's putting out all these videos now. He's you know working out every day, getting bigger he's and stronger. Today without a shirt on. Yeah, First, <laughs> that's number one. He's got to put a shirt on. Number one. But I mean, I can't help but think back to what was it two off seasons, three off seasons ago when he was doing the same exact thing, lifting weights, doing everything. He, he rips his lad off in like April, and he was yeah. gone for the whole year. So I mean. I would think he's taking better care of himself now, and I I do think he's going to have a, a pretty good year bouncing back. And like I said, that he he is the main key. He's got to step up and be that he, one one B to Degrom. No, you you're spot on. I mean, there's I could add a little bit to it, but you're just so right. I mean, Noah Syndergaard at age 25 and 26, where we all thought now he's putting it together, he's going to win a Cy Young. He's been a big disappointment. Like last year, he made the 32 starts. He was mediocre. He was really, really mediocre. For Noah Syndergaard to have an ERA above four after what we saw the first three years in the major leagues or four years in the major leagues, I don't think we thought that. We figured, oh, if he stays healthy, he's going to be fine. That was his track record. That was his worst, worst season. And I'm starting to be worried about it because he's 27 now. Like, what is he? But I'll tell you what gives me a little bit of hope. We talked about it with Lowry and Cespedes. With pitchers, just look at Wheeler. Two years out for free agency is where they can make their money. If I agree. He, if he shows up that he could have a huge year this year, the one that gives the Mets options for potential return of trades or whatever, we want him to go there. But look at Wheeler. He had a lights out two years out from free agency. Last year was okay, and look what he got paid. If Syndergaard does the same model, he's going to exceed Wheeler. Here's the thing, though. Wheeler had the excuse of coming back from Tommy John. Noah Syndergaard has regressed the last two years. Now, you mentioned the torn lat. I get it. That was two years ago. That's not where his struggles are coming from. Why did he struggle in 2019? It's all in his head, I think. Okay, well, that's scary in itself. I mean, we could sit here and watch video, and we, we could probably break down some mechanical issues. Oh, too, good. I'd like to hear yeah, yeah, but we'll, <laughs> we'll save that for a different podcast. But I think I, – I do – you know who I'm most interested in, in seeing, like, what they bring to the table? Jeremy Hefner. Uh, he has a good reputation of being right. like a very advanced, analytically like driven coach. He, he connects well with the pitchers. He's still young. He's still really young himself. Thirty three, I think. He's yeah. thirty three. I remember I pitching. It yeah, wasn't that long ago. He had a home run. Last time I saw last, <laughs> last game I went to that he was pitching. He had a home run. But um, I, I'm interested to see the effect that he has on these guys because if if they can tweak these things, like because Syndergaard, I think it was very obvious that something in his delivery, whether it be extension at the end of his pitches or whatever it may be. He was off. I, I'm not putting much into this whole thing. Like, I think I read that his stride was too short. Okay. They wanted the length in his stride. Okay. So I'm not really putting much into, like, you know, right. the ball was different. Like, it, it could have played a little bit of a factor, but I'm more interested to see 
how Hefner works with these guys. Yeah. And if he can fine tune things like that, I, I think I think they could be in a good spot. Well, it, it starts with health, which they had last year. Uh, Stroman Stroman wasn't great when he was here. Now I'm hoping that he'll be. We'll get a better Stroman than we saw in the 11 starts he made. It's a contract year for him, too. Steven Matz, I'm kind of looking at as, you know what? Go out, make your 30 starts. Some are going to be terrible. Some are going to be okay. Pitch to a four-year raise, a fourth starter. I got to tell you, I loved what they did in replacing Wheeler. Now, ideally, I would have kept Zach Wheeler. If this was a true big market team, you would have kept him. It's over $100 million. I get it. But his wife wanted to stay in the area, which only makes it worse. I wanted Rick Porcello because... He's very up and down, I get it. But Rick Porcello makes 30 starts every single season. Okay, so you know if there are injuries to other guys, he's at least taking the baseball every five days. I like him in the National League. You know, I think that helps. You know, facing the pitcher matters. I loved Porcello. And when they signed Waka, I was pissed. But then to add Porcello on type of Waka was exactly what I wanted because I felt, and I think we said this, you got to add two pitchers if you're losing Wheeler because you can't expect everybody to be healthy. Waka's the swing guy. If everybody's healthy, great. He's pitching out of the bullpen. Somebody's probably going to get hurt. So I actually liked, and maybe my bar was too low, but I actually liked the fact that they went out and signed Waka and Porcello in replacing Zach Wheeler. No, you, made a, you made a good point. It, it was when one happened, you were like kind of on the fence about it, but when you see both of them together in a package, you feel a lot better about it. And uh, like you said, Porcello being healthy, putting up 30 stars every year, it's, it's great. It's a great thing to have. My caveat to that is yes. he has yet to be a Met, so that's still to be determined how many starts he oh, can make. Oh, God. So. Yeah. No, but, I uh, get that. Yeah, no, but uh, no. And plus the whole I'm, – I'm a big uh, big fan of like these quirks, like every other year pitcher. Right. Where are we at in his schedule? Like, uh, let me pull up He was horrific numbers. last year, right? So he's got to be bound for another Cy Young, right? <laughs> you imagine that. Yeah, I think he's a guy that – I don't remember exactly what I read about that – he changed because of the analytics or whatever they were doing in Boston. He changed from going more to a four-seamer because they tried it with the launch angle stuff, though, more up in the zone, which is against what he normally he used to be a sinker ball, two-seam sinker baller. Um, so and he was planning on going back to that way. So I don't know, read into that what you want, but hopefully. He's technically in line for a better year. Okay. Last um, year was his worst ERA season well, of his career. It goes back to Phil's Mets saying, can't be much worse than last <laughs> yeah, year. Can't, be, can't do worse. So. I mean, think about it. Rick Porcello versus Jason Vargas. You have to look at it that way. because oh, A the, lot more upside. The, the truth is, and we knew it at the time, Strowman's the one replacing Zach Wheeler. Mm-hmm. You know, last year for the final few months, it was a luxury. Once they decided not to trade Zach Wheeler and said, hey, let's go for it, it was a luxury. They were never re-signing Wheeler. Now, part of that is we're trained to know this, it would be nice if they kept guys. I mean, it would be nice after developing Zach Wheeler for all these years after the Beltron trade that he was here. I, I get he made a lot of money. I get that that would have been a tough contract to hand out, but that's how baseball works. You know, once guys start to perform, you got to pay them. And, you know, what you can do with the risk involved, because they did it with John Neese, is pay a guy before they're a free agent. Now, the problem is, what if the guy sucks? What if John Neese happens? You're stuck with a guy making $9, 10000000 million a year. But the reward, if the guy develops is that you've got this great deal on a pitcher. And that's what's going to happen with Noah. I mean, you said if Noah Syndergaard has a great year this year, and next year he's gone. You know, unless another billionaire is buying the team. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right, the bullpen. We all knew this was the biggest issue. We all knew that this was the main reason the Mets missed the playoffs last year. Do you like overall what they did? They didn't do that much, but they did make a couple of moves led by Dylan Batances. 
Do you like I'll, it? I tell you what I like the most about it is that they kept Steph Lugo in the bullpen. Yes. I think that I think that would have been a silly move, short sighted to put Lugo in the rotation. Um, like I said, we just talked about it briefly. Walk and Porcello additions were a lot easier than going out and spending on the the Will Smiths and all. You see what the relievers got, well above what the Mets were going to pay for guys. So I think Batanzas is a good move. Lugo, and then it comes back to the ifs again. Uh, Familia and Diaz have to be familiar in Diaz. They have to step up. This is where you say it can't be worse, right? <laughs> I mean, if, if the shoe fits, right? <laughs> but um, as good as Seth Lugo is, I still need to see him pitch, be able to pitch more than once in a series. Well, that was the reason, Ryan, that we because both kind of flirted with the idea of moving him to the rotation, that he can't pitch multiple days. How is he going to be used this season? I, I, well, I, can't, I, I can't have my best reliever it, unavailable for two out of three, three other Now the three other guys, and if you want to throw Justin Wilson into the mix, the four other guys are producing. He doesn't. You don't need to heavily rely on the pitch every day. You could come up with a schedule for him to... A schedule? You need a freaking schedule yeah, no, for I, a relief pitcher? I'd like to just say, like, listen, buddy, we need you. Like... Eighth, eighth inning, bases loaded, two outs. I need you to come in here. But I wonder how much, I mean, maybe you guys know, and maybe I just don't know the information. How much is this dictated by Lugo himself, or is it the Mets? Well, you know, was it Callaway? Was it, how much was dictated? No, I think it was the Mets. Mets I'm not blaming Seth Lugo at all. So your point is, maybe they're not going to him and say, hey, we need you today. Maybe you say, hey, give me the ball. Well, I think that they may, if the Met bullpen is good, right? If Familia and Diaz and Justin Wilson and Dellen Batanz, if they're good, they're going to rely on Lugo less. I mean, we saw Mickey Calloway go to Seth Lugo in the seventh inning to basically mm-hmm. say, go finish the game. Like, we've seen that. We've seen him have to get a lot of outs. So while I like that in the right situation, assuming the Met bullpen is competent, there's just going to be less of that this year. That I'll give you. And the thing I'll say, which is with Lugo, is he obviously wants to be a starter. He's made it clear that he wants to be a starter, probably for the financial reasons of that come along with being a starter. But he's obviously not going to get that opportunity, at least this year, and probably never with the Mets. So he's going to need to start pitching every day in a closer setup role to eventually get paid to get stable financially for his family. So he's going to have to either say, hey, I got to risk the injury and it is what it is, or I got to be okay with getting paid to be a a once a week pitcher. I'll tell you this, you know, we talk about it can't be worse for Diaz. It can't be worse for Familia. It can't be worse for Batanzas in terms of even pitch last year. Lugo, it's tough to imagine is going to be as good. I mean, I mean, think about it. He was, for the most part, he was really, lights out. really he good last year. He was lights out for pretty much, other than that Cub game, yeah. no other game stands out in my head as to him just like kind of imploding. And he's just been lights out. And like you said, it's, it's going to be tough to repeat that. That's why they need these other guys to step up. Are you guys okay with the fact that they kept Edwin Diaz? Because there was a thought he can't handle New York, get rid of him. I mean, if you're... I, I was game for movie. You're not going to sell a guy up for 20 cents on yeah, the dollar. Right, so unless right. they were going to get something pretty good back for him, I don't have the, a problem keeping yeah, him. Yeah, the, the reward of what he can be is is not worth what you were probably going to get back. No, I agree. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, if you want to tell me everyone in the bullpen is having a great year uh, halfway through the year and someone blows you away at the deadline, I'll, I'd listen to that. Well, not if they're in a pennant race. I'd listen. Yeah. I'll, I'll never. Listen. I'll, I'll what are you ne- you're selling off pieces? I'll, no, in the I'm not saying I'll sell but I'll I'll never be one to not listen unless like well during something the, like Phil, what, during, are you listening on Degrom? Like no, I'm not listening. During but. the off season, you're right, but in the middle of a season, if the Mets are three and a half a games up in a wild card, if he's spot. performing a 25 year old closer, making yeah. no money, you're not going <laughs> to. No, I did. You like adding Batances because I looked at a guy like Will Harris, and I know he's older, and he's in the division now. And I said, well, I feel safer with Will Harris. Dylan Batantis didn't pitch last year. I like the fact he's, you know, from New York and he's 
pitched for the Yankees and he's dealt with the pressure. We've seen the good of Dellen. We've seen the bad of Dellen. It does scare me a little bit that they are relying on a relief pitcher that did not pitch last year. So can you clarify for me the the uh, I guess the trail of his injuries? What what was it? The shoulder, and then he came back and yes. ripped the Achilles. Yeah. Is that what it he was? He ripped the Achilles as he was celebrating Hop, yeah. a strikeout. He hopped off the mound. Yeah. So I guess if the Achilles is the, it's tough to say, but I guess I feel a little bit better that it's. An Achilles injury, as opposed to like his, you know, he was struggling to come back from his shoulder. So Doctor Phil, well, no, <laughs> no. fantasy but, Phil and Doctor Phil. No, but um, I, I mean, that did so much. But I'm gonna tell you why I like Betances because uh, besides the fact that he didn't pitch last year, is that what did we just say about Diaz? Can he handle New York? We know this guy could handle New York. So if Diaz sure. turns out to be crap again, and it comes out to hey, he mentally can't handle it, right? We at least. Take away the physical worries of Batanzas. We know we can put him on the mound in New York, and that's not going to phase him. Yeah. Barring um, injuries, Diaz, Lugo, I'm using my fingers to count. Obviously, it's a podcast no one can see, but you guys can see. Diaz, Lugo, Batanzas, Familia, Justin Wilson, Brad Brock. That's six. I figure there'll be a, there'll definitely be a seventh. It's probably Robert Gazelman. And then I guess you could carry another guy, depending on how you want to use the 27. Oh, Michael Waka. Yeah. I guess if everybody's Walker. healthy, Waka would be. What, are you only allowed to carry 13 pitchers? Yeah, you can't go more than 13, but it's 26 guys on a roster. Yeah. So that's what you're looking at this bullpen being. And would you, because I, I tried to ask Rojas this when we had him on. He gave no answer. I'm not surprised. Is he going to be a guy who says, this is my closer. This is my eighth inning guy. This is my seventh inning guy. I got to tell you, I think I'm old school. I'm past that crap. Like, Every situation dictates itself. If you need a big, if you need, I'll give you a good example. And Batantis and Diaz both have this. Bases loaded, one out. Edwin Diaz can come in and get back-to-back strikeouts. He's a huge strikeout guy. I'm considering going to him in the seventh inning. I would consider all arms available at any moment, depending on the matchup and the situation. I don't know if Rojas is going to do that. I assume he won't because I think we still live in an era where during the regular season, everybody's got a role. But here's here's where... Problem with that ex- lies is with everyone that says that no roles is that these guys are creatures of of habit of routines. If Diaz not, doesn't know that he's coming in the seventh, maybe he's a guy that takes two three innings to get loose to get going. If he doesn't know he's coming in the seventh, he does he's not going to be getting loose in the fourth inning. But if he knows, hey, I'm pitching the ninth inning. This game's a close game. I got to start getting loose in the sixth and seventh inning, so I'm ready to go at the top of the ninth, the bottom of the ninth. So it, you got to have got, certain guys can't can't do that. Certain, I'm sure there's certain guys, guys that, can though. Gazelman's a guy that, from what they say, they have a rubber arm. He's a guy that you can say, "Hey, go get loose. Go go throw your ten bolts in the bullpen." Most of the ready. guys that aren't closers can come in at you know the seventh or eighth well, inning. Well, because they're getting ready. They're starting to get ready. The fourth, fifth, sixth inning. They're starting to stretch out. You'll see them in the bullpen with the foam rollers getting right. loose. Diaz, I mean. If he knows, hey, I could be used in the seventh inning, that's on him then to start right. getting loose. But then it runs into the fact is, all right, if he's getting loose in the fourth inning, now he's ready to go in the seventh, but now you're pushing him to the – he's waiting around, getting cold to the ninth. Is that hurting him now if you don't use him in the well, seventh? I guess you're right that every individual is different on that part. It depends how they handle it. Um, I guess my thought is in theory it makes sense. In you know, theory in it makes theory, sense. In theory it's – I don't want to marry someone to a role. But you're right. I mean, you got to look at every individual the same. I – I expect that Edwin Diaz is going to be the closer, at least to start the season. And then if he fails, they'll do they'll, they'll move someone else there, whether it's Seth Lugo or Dylan Batantis. Would you? Because Lugo, we said at a great year, would you just make Seth Lugo the closer out of the gate? As much as I agree with you on that, I, I love the idea of everyone in the bullpen just being ready to go at right. any time. I just can't believe it until I actually see it like become something that's pretty widespread across the league. And uh, 
I mean, who, who really does that? The Rays do it. Like the A's do it. It's teams like that to do it. Well, and also in the playoffs, I think the Nationals. Basically oh well, yeah, did well that's when you're they were using starters. Yeah, that's too. when you incorporate your stars and everything. Yeah. But until I see teams regularly do that on a regular basis, I, I just can't believe it. And I fully expect they want Edwin Diaz to be the closer. Yeah, yeah. I think they want him to. But to yeah. answer your question, I think. You go into spring training, and I think it's a legit competition between Batanzas, which I don't think he wants to be the closer or should be the closer, but he's in the competition between Diaz, Lugo, and Batanzas. Well, they've got to be. It's amazing to think about between Familia, who I know none of us believe is going to have a good year. I am less confident in Familia than any other yes. reliever. I just assume. I don't care how much weight he's lost. He's down 40 pounds. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Diaz has been a closer. Familia has been a closer. Lugo was a closer. Batances at times has been a closer, but has mostly been an eighth inning guy. So they've got four guys with some kind of closing experience. So Justin I got, I mean, Wilson. As a closer? He, he has some experience in there. I think it's very underrated that he's how good he was last year. So yeah, I don't expect that again. Good. I don't well, expect that again. Do well, you? Uh, I don't expect – he was used a lot last year, probably yeah. more than he should be. In left-handed, you know, roles only, I, I think well, he got pretty now. good. No, that's not going to happen now. Well, can you do – so – Go ahead. Clarifying the rule. Yes. If there's, let's say there's two outs. Yes, then it's over. Can he, can he pitch to one batter yes. and not start the next inning? Correct. Okay. It's All either right. to end the inning or, so here's an example, because I've been thinking ahead of, how's this going to be used? This is so weird. I hate it, by the way, yeah. but, you know, we have to accept it. If a manager is going to have a lineup where it's lefty, righty, lefty, well, then you'll go to your lefty relievers with, with two outs and say, hey, if I get the guy out, great, he did his job. If he doesn't get the guy out, depending on the situation, I could walk the righty and then get to the lefty but, again. But you put yourself in a hole now. You're putting two depending. guys on base. Yeah. Well, depending on the situation. I mean, it depends. Who's I'm up? just trying to think who's, who's up, you know, how many guys are on base, what's the score of the game. It is going to be very, very weird. It's tough to kind of figure it out because also I'm thinking, well, will managers make their lineups different? I mean, if you can't go lefty, righty, lefty, righty, does that kind of change how you construct your lineup in a way? Yeah, I mean, it's got to. I'm just like, for example, if you would you go lefty, righty, righty, lefty, as opposed to lefty, righty, lefty, because, you know, he's got to face three batters. So if he comes in to face a lefty, there's two righties in a row, as opposed yeah. to the situation I just laid you, out. You never I mean, now you, I would be shocked if you see any big lefties. I'm trying to think of a team that has two big lefties on it stacked together. Well, the Mets have a few. Le- build the Met lineup right now. No, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Uh, you want me to start to make yeah, it easier? Go ahead. The leadoff hitter Nimmo. is Jeff McNeil. McNeil, okay. I, I was thinking about Nimmo. I'm thinking about him because he's so good at getting on base. But you know what? Well, either way, it's a lefty. Yeah, it's McNeil number one. I'd go McNeil number Now, should I factor in a healthy Cespedes? Um, I don't think you can yet. No, I'm going to do it. This is okay. fun. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have an outfield of Cespedes, Davis, and Conforto. The all okay. offense. So oh, no boy. Nimmo in the lineup. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go McNeil 1 at third base. I'm going to go Alonzo 2 at first base. This is where I would go Conforto, but see, I'm thinking ahead. Cespedes 3 in left field. Conforto cleanup in right field. J.D. Davis 5 in left. No, Conforto's in center, by the way. J.D. Davis 5. Wilson Ramos 6. Robbie Cano, seven. Oh, boy. Rosario, eight. I'm splitting up the lefties by two because of what we just talked about. Yeah, now, but I'm, I'm, a lot of it is going to say is going to depend on who, the, your opponent for that series. Their bullpen. 
Oh, how it's constructed, yeah. yeah. Do, do they have a, a lefty specialist? That would I'm sure you're going to see a lot different lineups. Do you know. like Malonzo batting second, by the way? I'm I'm more of this guy. Like, my big home run hitters, my guys who drive and runs, I like them in those spots with guys on base. So who would you hit second? Because in this modern world we live in, guys are putting their best hitters. Yeah, because I, I, they get the most. I, I personally yep. like something like Nimmo leaning off and Jeff McNeil hitting second. Really? Yeah. I say, or I, or even Ahmed I, Rosario. I was say, I'm very intrigued to see what, res, what Rosario we get. He doesn't get on base enough. Yeah, but he, he, I mean, he's a 280 hitter. I know, but he's on base I, like 320. He's another guy that we haven't really touched on. I, as much of a stride forward as he took last year, I need to see more from it. I agree. Because I, I can't really take comfort in relying on that again yet. Just yet. I need to see it again. He had a very good step in the right direction season here's the concern i have and i'm not saying end all be all with on base but he just doesn't walk ever i mean he had 287 last year and his on base was 323 like he's just never getting on base which may not be the end of the world if i'm batting him down in the lineup but i look at it this way the guys at the top of my order i want them on base a lot because i want them on base for my rbi guys if rosario can become a 350, 360 on base guy, then I'm with you. Bat him first, bat him second. That's why I think Nimmo then fills that leadoff. Nimmo does really that. Nimmo's not yeah. in his lineup. But if we do the <laughs> eliminate Cespedes lineup, you want me to give you that yeah, lineup? Let's go with that. I don't know if I like McNeil and Nimmo one, too. Nah. The problem with Nimmo hitting eighth, see, I did Nimmo ninth. That's not, I think that's what I would do. I, I actually don't mind the pitcher batting eighth because then I got the double leadoff hitter. Now, you still have the lefties back-to-back, but maybe that's not that what, big of a deal. What would what about a Nimmo, Alonzo, McNeil? Nimmo, Alonzo. Yeah, that's not terrible either because McNeil you can put in that RBI spot. Boy, I'm so fascinated to see how Rojas does this because we have no idea. Like, one thing about him is we, we just don't know how things are going to be constructed. But what are we, two weeks away from our first game? So. Yeah, well, that doesn't say anything. That's Spring right. training games doesn't tell you anything. That's all right. We can, it's it's what the beak a little bit. I'm trying to think if I forgot anything. Um, Alonzo, what's a reasonable expectation coming off a season in which he hit 53 freaking home runs? Are you signing for 40 and 110? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, si- say high 30s. Are you signing for 35, 100? Here's what I'm going to sign for. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. Aaron Judge has never come close to his rookie season. And the reason is he hasn't been healthy. Mm-hmm. Not, he, not that he's bad. He hasn't been healthy. So my first goal is Pete Alonso goes out there and gets, you know, 600 plate appearances again. Yeah. And then number two, if he plays every day and you give me 40 home runs, over 100 RBIs. Yeah, you can't say no to that. It's tough to say because it's, it's very unre- – I think it's unreasonable to expect him to 50 home runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's a tough. That, yeah, that's a tall task. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. I'm kind of curious what Jeff McNeil shows up because in the first half of the year, Jeff McNeil was a high average guy. Mm-hmm. Second half of the year, average dip, but he hit for more pop. So, what's a reasonable so expectation for McNeil? Ground there, can I'll 290, 20, 25 home runs. No, nah, yeah. I want him to be a 300 hitter. Yeah, I rather. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Sorry, but, but, he, I, he can do both. It but just I'm saying, looking at the rest of that lineup and what potentially could be in it. We don't need him for hit for more power. We need, like Evan said, get on base, hit for high average, set the table. That's fine. He can do both. That that guy is a well. Look, if he he missed a bunch of games, so I would try to cut down on that. Obviously, there's nothing you do about that. If he gave me the exact same production as last year, I'd be ecstatic. I had three eighteen. I'm in. That'd be the way. And for the long time, he was hitting like three thirty, three forty. I know. Every time his career batting average matched Tony Gwynn, I like to point that out. <laughs> it's not the case anymore. He's down to 321 as a career hitter, and he has not struck out 100 times in his career, which I think is really – that's one of the cool things yeah, that's awesome. about Jeff McNeil. What are 
Your expectations. Being So my thinking is we all saw how horrific the bullpen was last year. Yes. And and I guess the positive I take out of it is that they still won eighty six games. So if you're even I'm not asking you to be the best bullpen in the league. Can you be middle of the pack? That ha- to me that has to translate to maybe getting up into the like eighty nine to ninety two win range. I, I don't think that's a, that's unreasonable. No, I, I'm so mixed. Go ahead, Adam. Eating so I was, Ryan I was, McGee. <laughs> I was gonna bring thinking along the same lines as Phil. Uh, eighty six last year. I think the team is better constructed in ways, and Cespedes a wild card. Um, bullpen can't be much worse than literally can't be much worse than it was last year as a whole. Um, so if they just get the same production or similar production uh, around the upper 80s competing for a wild card. The only thing that scares me is I think the Phillies are going to be better. That's it, man. Um, That's what scares me. So they're going to be playing, you know, the Marlins are going to be better. Um, the Dodgers, luckily, they only play them six times. Um, National League as a whole, like, even though it's top heavy, it's very competitive well the the scary part is the division i mean you hit on it the phillies were a massive disappointment last year the mets did a great job besides that collapse game against washington um atlanta is going to be good every year it's it is kind of daunting how good the division is so even though i think by going through this roster and going through this team it sounds like a decent team like i'm not overly negative here i mean of course anything can happen get a ton of injuries and horrible stuff happens this does feel like a competitive baseball team it's just that the National League East is awesome outside of one team, outside of the Marlins. And it it almost means that when you play Miami, you got to beat them every time. Yeah. And, I, and I felt this way last year. If I asked you off the top of your head, what was the Met record against the Marlins last year? What would your answer be? They played 19 times. 12 and 7. What would you say? I'd say around there, maybe even 11 and 8. You guys are close. They were 13 and 6. The reason I bring this up is it didn't feel like they went 13 and 6. It I, felt like the Marlins won too many games does. against Ever them. since 2007, 2008. Because <laughs> the Marlins beat I, us all the time. I need them to handle the Marlins the way that the Yankees handled the Orioles. Well, good. I mean, that's I need that. 17 that's out of 19. Yeah, that's what I need. <laughs> but the problem is the Marlins were so bad. And remember, they got swept in yeah. Miami. So if you take that away, it was 13 out of 16. But it felt like they didn't beat them up enough. And that's a problem. If you're going into those 19 games thinking, oh my God, you've got to beat them every single time. Because the Phillies, the National and the Braves are good. They're legitimately good. And there's only best case scenario is three of the four teams are making the playoffs. That's the best case scenario. It's not easy, but someone wins the division, obviously the two wildcard teams. So I think they're, my feeling is they're going to be good. They're going to be in it. I just, I don't know. I feel like they're going to fall short. And I don't know if that's just me being negative. It's, or, right. it's, it's in your blood. Is, is that, it in my blood? Yeah, it is, man. And, uh, I I don't want to go in feel, with that feeling of like they're going to feel short. Like I said, I think they're going to be competitive. I think they're going to be a pretty good team, and I think it's time for them to take that next step and you know kind of grab these other teams by the collar and say like we're not we're not your uh, we're not your father's Mets anymore. Basically, yeah. Well, that's what Brody tried to tell us. Yeah. It hasn't really worked that way as long as the Wilpons on the team. Couple of quick questions, Jacob Degrom. Awesome. <laughs> next question. <laughs> I mean, what's what is – I said this last year after he had this historic season. What would you take out of a Jacob deGrom season? We can't sit here and say go win another Cy Young. He's won back-to-back. What, what, I'll, what I'll say is I'm not – like I'm just going to continue to believe until until he proves me wrong basically. I mean 
Can he win a third Cy Young in a row? In a row? Absolutely. You know, what my, you know what my answer is? Just just make 30 starts. I was just going to uh, say yep, same right, thing. Yep, that's it. Make Stay 30 healthy. starts, and I think the stats are going to be there, yep. and his production is going to be there. Because every year, Jacob DeGrom gives us an injury scare. Every year, there's something where you're thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, this is the end of the world. And so hopefully there's none of that, and he goes out there and makes 30 starts. Because if he continues to pitch on this level, like if he won a third Cy Young, now we're starting to look at a Hall of Fame career. Yep. And we don't have to worry about him leaving because they have him locked up long term. I mean, you can't write a better script. Is Matt Adams or Dom Smith on the Mets opening day roster? Or Dom, both? Dom Smith is. So Adams is literally just uh, he's here for spring training. He'll be gone. He'll be spring training and he'll have the option in the spring training whether he goes to AAA or goes to free agency. So you're not worried about that signing that it means I, I think a less, you know, knock a wood, a less uh, an injury happens in spring training. I think looking at their depth chart, preparing for this, before before they signed Adams, first base, other than Alonzo and Smith, within the organization was very thin, especially the upper levels, double A AA and triple A. So I think it was a smart move bringing another veteran in for spring training because, you know, guys, obliques, hammies, whatever might pop up uh, during spring training to at least give you a little security blanket during spring training. But right. I think best case, Alonzo and Smith are healthy. I think Adams, he, he have the option. I, I tell you right now, if – and Matt Adams has a good camp, and they're like, you know what? Guy hits 20 home runs here. Let's hold on to him. Dom Smith just has to be a AAA. I would not trade him. I mean, unless I'm getting some return that's not out there. You're right. Injuries happen, and I just don't think you'd be moving him at the right time value-wise. My issue with him going to AAA is that I think right now his value perceived around the league is that he's the guy like, oh, man, that guy's got a lot of potential, and he's sitting there rotting away on the bench. I'm afraid of him going down to AAA and maybe underwhelming So what do you want to do then? I, I leave, if he's not moved in spring training, leave him, leave him in the exact role that he yeah, was in last year. But what if he doesn't perform in the limited opportunities he's given? Because if that's the case, then I think he's still seen around the league as like, that guy is a guy that just needs a shot and he's more playing time on, on my team. I don't know how he's viewed around the league. I like Tom Smith. Well, but that's also, I'm speaking in just the, the context of right. what everyone has told us, basically, like these writers and who knows who and... That's basically the only information that we have, so that's what I can go off of. All right. What I miss? I miss anything about this offseason? We have it all covered? Um, I, think so. I actually want to give a special shout-out to former <laughs> Met great Josh Tolley, who in the year of our Lord, 2020, is still getting professional <laughs> contracts. The ultimate, it's a minor league deal, The, the ultimate fake-it-until-you-make-it guy, shout-out to Josh. I believed in Josh Tolley. Bought his jersey. Oh, boy. Well, it was a game used jersey. <laughs> that was, that was, was the cheap. one, the one person who got it. <laughs> I believed in him. So, Mets make the playoffs? You're gonna, you just want to say no. LFGM, I, I Mets are making the playoffs. I want, I want to say yes, but I, my, my guts tell me the division's too tough. Can I ask you a serious question? I want everybody to think about this if they've gotten through this entire podcast. If I told you right now you could sign a deal, the Mets are going to win the pennant, but they're going to get swept by the Yankees. Would oh, you sign that oh deal? Oh, my God. Yes. Wow. Okay. I would, would. you? <laughs> I would, I would, what, what's, the, what's the alternative? Is the, uh, is the alternative like you just have to let it play out? There's 80 no and 82. No, 80 and 82. No, never mind. Like the alternative is 80 and 82. I got to sign for the pennant. And then I'll just deal with my own well-being after a Yankee sweep <laughs> later on. You know what the problem is for us? How old are you again, Phil? 28. How we, old were you in 2000? I was nine. Do you we, remember it? Uh, yeah. I, he I didn't live through high school. Yeah. yeah, he didn't live through but high school. It, 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 was it, say, was, right? it wasn't nearly the same. Senior like, year of high school was hell. Oh, my God. And we were outnumbered. We were probably the only two Met fans in the Yeah. School. Oh, oh I tell Joe that. I was like, yeah, me and uh, Ryan and like two other people was all Yankee fans. 
It would be ve- and on this radio station, the New York Yankee flagship station. That would be oh very tough. Oh. It'd be great for business, I, right? I, I don't. I don't but, like. This. I don't like this. You guys are speaking it into existence. I don't want. I don't want to hear not, this right I mean, now. Wait, we're speaking the Mets winning the pennant into existence. No, you're, I'm talking about the other side. But you, I don't want to hear any of that. <laughs> I'm just saying because let, let's face it, the Yankees are very, very good. I mean, they should win the American League pennant. Anything could happen in the playoffs. We know that. But they are clearly the best team in the American League. So if the Mets have another dream season, there's a very decent chance, very decent chance, that they're playing the Yankees in the freaking World Series. I'll just say, like, it'll Take be, our chances. It, it'll, it'll be a damn shame if Garrett Cole had, like, a four-year oh, right? It would be a shame to see that. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Thank you, uh, Adam Eaton, Ryan McGee. Thank you, Fantasy Phil. You guys did a hell of a job. We'll preview the season as we get closer. God knows what could change between then. A lot of injuries and a new owner. That's the way to look at it. Uh, We'll do a Yankee offseason preview coming up in the next couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.